Say good evening. Greet you in Jesus' precious name again this evening. Welcome. Welcome, visitors. It's truly been a blessing to be in your midst to get to know so many new folks and rekindle friendships. Thank you for your true Southern hospitality, your generosity, getting into your homes and youth, young boys. Thanks for accepting my sons. It's been a good week, and I stand here tonight acknowledging that what was shared and what was preached, that I stand accountable to God, and that causes me to tremble. So yet one more time, we want to take a look at God's Word. And I believe the burden of the Lord tonight is a little urgent. We had all week. We had all the time of the week. <clears throat> maybe tomorrow night. It, maybe the next night. So I invite your honesty before God tonight because we're talking about a heart issue. Well, can somebody that's been here a lot this week, can somebody tell me where to turn to start tonight? I needed a little help. First Samuel 16 it is. Now do we... Did we not about wear out this passage? Well, here in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, And came to pass, and when they were come, that they looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And tonight the Lord is still looking on the heart. And I wonder what he's seeing by the end of a week of revival meetings. I wonder if he's finding peace in there, if he's finding a bit of turmoil in there. I don't know because I'm on Samuel's perspective and I'm looking from this side and it looks good. But did you know that this, did you know that this account almost didn't happen? Did you know Samuel almost didn't go? And that's the burden of the Lord tonight. Let's look at this. It says up there in, in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn? And then he goes on and ta is talking to Samuel. And he says, well, well, we'll read verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from, the reigning, from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and here it is, and go. There's the command, and tonight it is still that. It is from the heart of God. And I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And look at this. And Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hear me, he will kill me. And there we have it. Resistance to God's command to go. Resistance to God's invitation. And even Samuel, God's prophet, feared what would happen 
if he exposed himself and made himself vulnerable by going down there to the house of Jesse. He feared Saul. And I don't know who you're fearing here tonight, but there could be a possibility that you're fearful about the peers around you. And we're saying, no, not tonight. So Samuel, Samuel's saying, I can't. Why don't, why don't we wait a little bit, Lord? Why don't we let for things to simmer down a little bit? It seems like everywhere I go, there's a lot of um, things happening, and there's a lot of frightened people and situations. And Samuel says, how can I, Lord? The situation here with the anointing of David almost didn't happen. And tonight that is my concern about the fact that we almost didn't. Let me give you the title for the sermon tonight. As we think about the fact that Samuel questioned God, resisted God is what I want to use there, resisted God about going to anoint David who, through whose lineage Jesus came. I said that almost didn't happen. I wonder if that's our experience here this week. The message title this evening is The Season That Never Arrives. The season that never arrives. According to Scripture, the seasons are going to come and the seasons are going to go, and they vary. They vary according to geographical areas, but the Bible says the seasons are going to come and the seasons are going to go. They differ from each other. We all enjoy different types of seasons. We all have our favorites and we all have our least favorites. And I, I enjoyed the season here as we were here this week. It was a beautiful season. We can enjoy the seasons, but there's one thing we cannot do. We can never alter or change the seasons. We can never switch them around a little bit to make it comfortable for us. Or we would have summer all the time, wouldn't we? We wouldn't have those uncomfortable seasons. You follow me? A season is simply a division of the time of year. So a season is a division of time tonight, folks. We don't know how long our seasons are. Your seasons may be longer than our seasons back home. They may vary in length. And that is the, the burden tonight that the season, the length of our season, we do not know what the length of our season is that we are in tonight. One more opportunity. That's what I want this service to be tonight is one more opportunity. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 24 out of which came the title. The season that never arrives. The Bible has a name for that season. You call them summer, winter, spring and fall. The Bible has a different name for the season that we're talking about tonight. 
It's found in Acts chapter 24, in, 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 in verse 25. Towards the end of the chapter, it says, a convenient, a convenient season. We like things to be convenient. We like things to be comfortable. And the Bible here, in this chapter, calls it a convenient season. The convenient season is the season that never arrives. Don't wait on it, folks. The burden of the Lord tonight is that season will not arrive. It never becomes convenient. It's always seeming to be uncomfortable. When we have sin in our life, when we have issues in our life, when Jesus Christ is calling, it's like when the, the, he calls a disciple or he calls somebody to follow him and he says, let me first, let me first, let me first. We all have something we would rather be doing. Let me first. So the text I'm going to read, Acts chapter 24, so we get the, the setting, and then we're going to look at a few verses tonight. Acts chapter 24, what we have is Felix, uh, Paul before Felix, and just as I start reading here, in, in, in verse 1, he is actually being held in a prison. He's being held in, a, in Herod's judgment hall, and he's waiting to stand before Felix. That is an uncomfortable place to be. Paul is in a very uncomfortable place. So let's follow along here as, as I read. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also had gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. You think that sounded like him? I tried. <laughs> I don't know. He, had, he was a man of many fancy words. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself may take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Jews also assented, saying, These things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. Because thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, 
So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Herein I do exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. Or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and came and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So that is the account that we're looking at tonight. We have the high priests finding somebody who can accuse him that will be the most persuasive to take him out of the picture. And why do they want him out of the picture? Because his presence convicts them, his testimony convicts them, and they're going to have to remove him in order to have that, that uncomfortable convicting power of the Holy Spirit making them feel uncomfortable. So they're going to remove him. And they're going to do what it takes and do the, the best they can. And so they use this orator who has very fancy words and is extremely, extremely persuasive. And then Paul is given an opportunity to speak. I want you to see that. And he gets the opportunity to explain his position. I'd like to see something here. It says that he went up to Jerusalem to worship. That was his, his, um, his purpose for going to Jerusalem, not to cause trouble. And he says here, the way which they call heresy... So worship I God. So he was accused of heresy when it was how we worship God. And it has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where they butted heads. And when the resurrection of Jesus Christ is preached, it pricks conscience, and it, cond it condemns sin, and it causes men to repent. It was the resurrection that they called heresy. That message is still powerful today when we preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So yes, Paul caused a rather uncomfortable 
environment when, when he was around the religious leaders. So where, where, where are you at tonight? In verse 16, Paul continues, and is this, could, could you say, that, is this your testimony tonight? And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. Is your conscience tonight void of offense and void of, of offense towards God and towards men? You see, after a week of meetings like this, there's got the big potential and a, a good potential that the Spirit of God moves and pricks and prods and exposes things in our hearts. And we could be sitting here tonight and we don't have the clear conscience. But Paul testified of having a clear conscience. He knew where he stood with Jesus Christ and he would not be moved. Now as he goes on and he's talking, you know, he's, you see he's allowed to keep speaking here as he's trying to explain his position to Felix. And everything, everything's well. Felix keeps listening. In verse 21, Paul speaking, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day. And Felix goes, end of conversation. Right there, right there, Felix was done listening. I don't know, maybe you're done listening tonight. And you might be done listening. And, and you might say, stop pulling those things out of the Scripture. You might be saying tonight, why don't you tell a few more stories? You see, Felix was, was in charge. Paul was not. So when he came to the resurrection of the dead, it got very uncomfortable for Felix. End of conversation. And he stops him right there. That's what we're building upon. We're going to talk about Felix tonight. Felix had knowledge of the Christian faith. He was knowledgeable of the Christians. He was knowledgeable of their activity. He knew they didn't cause riots. He knew they were peace-loving people. And he didn't mind them. But he got very uncomfortable when the discussion turned to the resurrection of the dead and Paul's convincing testimony. So he started to get uncomfortable. What I see here, do you see what Felix did when he became uncomfortable? So he puts a stop to the speaking, and so, so sneaky, so secretly, he says, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the utmost of your matter. He wanted, he, he wanted company. He felt very vulnerable in the presence of Paul all by himself. And so he was uncomfortable. And he thought if Lysias comes, the chief captain comes, then he won't be alone, is, is what I'm seeing here. He was feeling very vulnerable. So in verse 24, and a certain day, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul 
Hearing him concerning the faith of Christ. There's a lot in here. So, in verse 24, Felix calls for Paul again, only he's not alone. He has wife along. He has wife along to accompany him. And in studying this verse, Paul would have been brought out to entertain them. They were going to use his, his circumstances that he's in, and they're going to like make fun of him or put him... Watch, watch him squirm, so to speak. He was supposed to come out and entertain them. They were the ones in control of the situation. Felix and, and, and Drusilla were in control of the situation, so they are going to bring out Paul and have a little fun with Paul is what we're talking about. He doesn't have to worry about being vulnerable because he's not alone anymore. But he forgot one thing. And that is that Paul is a terrible entertainer tonight. Think about it. Paul does not do very well at entertaining. Paul is not interested in entertaining. He was brought out to entertain and amuse, and he took another opportunity to preach. Now, what I want to do here is I want to introduce to you Paul's audience. Yeah, his big audience of two. That's what I found here, too. I don't know if the captain was there, but his audience of two. Let's, let's enter, I'd like to introduce them to you tonight. So we have Felix. And Felix was a tyrant. Felix was an oppressor. He had a horrible reputation. But he was still in a position of power. He wasn't governor of that, that area at that time. What else about Felix? Well, his office that he held, his position that he held, would have been to show virtue, to show mercy, to show justice, and right judgment to the people under him. That's how the man of authority would have been supposed to. That was expected from him, from, the, from his position. Fail fail. He didn't do that. Felix failed in that. What else about Felix? He was shrewd. He was extremely shrewd as shown in his intent to bribe Paul. And he thought that if he could receive more money from Paul, he would keep him in prison and hope to get bribed. He was shrewd. And that's how he operated. He's a shrewd man. What else about Felix? Well, it says that, how is it worded? Felix came, it says with his wife, it was the third one. It was the third one. He was living in an adulterous relationship, current. And that's how he stood and sat in front of Paul, in an adulterous relationship. Now, that is extremely risky to do that in front of Paul. Number four, he, ab he abused his position and power to manipulate, and he always got his way. He always got his way. He was controlling. He was manipulating. Manipulating. This is Felix. Now, something else about, about, about Felix, 
is that he followed his passions. He followed his passions and there was no resistance and no restriction because he didn't have to. This is who we're talking about. This is who is standing before Paul. Like I said, he had three wives living in adultery. What a profile. But folks, tonight, Felix was simply a sinner in need of salvation. He was simply a sinner, no worse than you and I. He was simply a man in need of salvation, standing in a very vulnerable spot in the presence of Paul. That was Felix. What about his wife? The Bible calls it his wife. It says she was a Jewess. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but that, that holds a lot of weight because Priscilla was a Jew. She knew the religion. She, she, she had been religious. She knew the religion. She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa who tried to kill Peter and was eaten by worms. That's who she called dad. She was a sister to Agrippa and Bernice in Acts chapter 25 when they came on the scene. She was a sister to that Agrippa. She was one of the most beautiful women of the age at that time. Well known, very popular for her beauty. Felix fell in love with her when he saw her, and he followed his lust, and he took her. She was the wife of Azizus, from which Felix took her away. And as I read that in history, it's not in the scripture, it's a horrible scene that Felix literally sent her husband back home, and he had no power to do anything to retain his wife. Felix took her. And she was party to his evil ways. She was fine with it. She accepted that adultery. This is Drusilla. She forgot her covenant with God. That was no longer important. We said she was a Jew. There's more about her. Her father killed James. Her great-uncle Herod Antipas beheaded John the Baptist. Her great-grandfather Herod the Great killed the babies of Bethlehem. What a pedigree! And here she sits in front of Paul. And Do you think Paul knew a few of those things? And according to history, her and her son, Felix, died in the Mount Vesuvius eruption. It's over. Pride. But folks, tonight, Drusilla was simply a sinner. A sinner in need of Jesus Christ. And Paul had the opportunity to stand before these two people. And that's where we're at tonight. In, the, in, our, in our text, she was simply a sinner. This was Paul's audience. The one thing about Paul is that he is very observant. And he understands their greatest need 
as he, they brought him out, they brought him out to entertain them. And he saw an opportunity, and he saw their greatest need was Jesus and salvation. And he says here, in verse 24, they heard him concerning the faith in Christ. You see where Paul started? You see where Paul started? Their greatest need was Jesus Christ. He did not start with their adulterous relationship. He did not start with um, taking another man's wife. He didn't start with, with, with uh, Felix's manipulation and his lifestyle like that. No, he started with the need for faith in Jesus Christ. He got to the root of the problem. Their greatest need was Jesus, and that's where he started. And tonight, our greatest need is Jesus. Our greatest need is Jesus, and if we don't start with Jesus, we're going nowhere. We cannot grow. I'm going to look at those... Three things that Paul addressed. He saw their greatest need, and it says, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. We're going to look at those three things tonight. The first one is Paul enters into this dialogue with them, and I don't know if there was any feedback from, from his audience there, but he begins speaking to them, of righteousness. He reasoned with righteousness. I suppose he entered at their level of understanding of righteousness. Righteousness tonight is acting in accordance with what is just, honorable, and free from guilt, upright, and virtuous. Does that sound like Felix tonight? It is simply holy living in accordance to God's standard. Holy living. That is required of the Christian. A child of God is required to live a holy life. Righteousness is also a moral concept. Now think about this. Felix never had to live up to a moral standard before. And now this is presented to him. His mind is beginning to process this, what Paul is telling him. God's character is the definition and source of all righteousness. couple of verses, Philippians 3, 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It is believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Romans 4, 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. It requires faith. So if we don't have faith tonight, we can't live a righteous life. We are unrighteous. It's not of works, but it's faith that works. And there is a tremendous power to live righteous before God through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can live righteous. Righteous living requires holy living tonight, folks. 
Felix never had to consider the fact of holy living. It was not part of his vocabulary. It was not a part of his lifestyle. And when Paul starts speaking to him about righteousness and holy living, his mind starts processing this. How am I doing in the category of holy living? When I consider my life and my heart tonight, and when I consider holy living, does it cause me to tremble? No, well, maybe I'm not as bad as Felix. Maybe I'm not like Felix. Maybe I have nothing in common with Felix. But when I'm talking about holy living tonight, I'm talking about speech. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about what we feast on, what we feed on, our passions. So Paul con- reasons of righteousness, and, and Felix begins to become very uncomfortable in the presence of Paul. This is not very funny. This is not very amusing. This is not what I was, he was expecting out of Paul. Now he reasons of temperance. Oh, temperance. Temperance is control over sensual desires, appetites, and passions. Self-control that masters all kinds of sensual desires. And that is exactly what he was talking to Felix and Drusilla about was temperance. So through temperance, the Christian can discipline body and spirit. They can focus and strive for spiritual rewards through temperance. So without temperance, our passions and desires destroy us. Our passions and desires tear us up and leave us in a pile of rubble. A man left to himself with no temperance will destroy himself. I'm going to read a couple verses in 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. We are responsible for what we do with our bodies and to our bodies. We are responsible. God has given us a conscience. He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And we are required to live temperate lives. He provides a way. We need to ask ourselves, is it pure? Is it holy? Is it God-honoring? And so, like Paul is writing, we must bring our bodies under subjection by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore rule or reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Felix did not 
practice temperance. Felix held nothing back. He had no restrictions. He had no bounds. He indulged in every sensual desire that he, that he pleased. And he had, he had the, uh, the gall to take another man's wife and call it his own. Now Paul's message began to strike a chord with Felix. So when Felix heard about all that he could stand, you know, he's squirming in his chair right now. He's fidgeting. Paul speaks of judgment. Judgment. Paul knew exactly what his audience stood in need of, and he speaks of judgment to come. That is always an uncomfortable, an uncomfortable place to be when we are sinners, when we are not living righteous lives. The judgment to come makes us feel very uncomfortable. Judgment to come is the discernment or separation between good and evil. It's justice. And I believe that when Paul entered into this dialogue that that Felix sat a little straighter. His eyes were wide open. There was no slumber and no sleeping in the audience of Paul. I am convinced he was locked in because it was very disconcerting to him to hear about something like judgment to come. Judgment is punishment meted out to all those who fall under the God's wrath and condemnation. That sounds like we're accountable to somebody greater than ourselves. It's the final judgment, ultimate separation from good of good and evil at the end of history. Judgment to come. We are accountable to a sovereign God for all we do and all we say. So what I have spoken this week, I am accountable for. For what you have heard this week, you are accountable for. And that is why it is imperative tonight that we are honest before God and that we are not waiting for a convenient season and that we just push it off. Another sobering fact that he may have been explaining to Felix at this very moment is that, 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 is that God is recording and he's recording, and he's recording our lives, our acts. That's serious, that's sobering. And so when God is taking, giving an account, or keeping an account of the deeds that we do, we cannot undo our deeds. We're helpless to undo our deeds. Felix was helpless to go back and fix it up a little bit. As he got more uncomfortable, and as he started to get hot, and he started to get sweaty over this dialogue with Paul, he could not undo his adulterous relationship at that point. He could not undo it. And I don't know that he wanted to, because we're going to see that. 
So God is recording tonight. And that is what is so serious and our concern tonight about judgment to come, is that we are being held accountable. We are being held accountable what we do and say and what we think. So I would say that Felix has a lot to digest in just that short amount of time. It was a short sermon. It was three points. But the three points were exactly what his audience needed. Now, Felix's response. So, we tried to preach this week and tonight straight out of God's Word. And we, we, we like to take verses apart and look at parts of verses. And, and that's the responsibility of the preacher. And that's what Paul did. He preached on these things. And now, now there's a response from his audience. See, I want to see what that is. So what is the response? It says that Felix trembled. That's, that's very basic. Now, Felix trembled. Now, I don't know if Felix ever trembled before in his life because of the lifestyle that he lived. But the power of the Word of God made this ruler tremble. And I'm sure he was extremely fidgety and sweaty and shaking, and his heart, was, his heart rate went up because he was trembling. The Bible says he trembled. And I don't know what that all entails, but it's a grown man trembling at the Word of God because he's living in sin. It's nothing new tonight for you to sit here this week and tremble at the preaching of the Word of God. And God is very clear that if there's something in your life, you're going to tremble until you take care of it. Tremble is not new today. Trembling at the Word of God goes back through the ages as the Word of God did its work and the preaching of salvation did its work and the preaching of the gospel did its work. Men have trembled down through the ages and it's not going to stop here tonight. We tremble when we... Acknowledge that we're standing before or sitting before a holy God and he's recording and he sees straight into my heart, we said on Monday night. And that is what's concerning and that's why we get uncomfortable because we're vulnerable before God Almighty. I believe Felix felt very vulnerable in front of Paul. I think, I think Felix felt like Paul knew him inside out. I think he felt like Paul was looking in his heart. But it says that Felix trembled. His conscience smote him. Never before did Felix have to consider himself to be judged. And now that loomed ahead of him. That loomed over top of him. That was pressing down upon him. There, he was going to have to make a decision real bad right now. He never had to be held accountable to his misdeeds. I mean, he could do bad and do wrong and get by all this time. Now, all of a sudden, one day, there Paul stood in front of him, and he was face to face with truth, and that there is a righteous God holding him accountable, and he suddenly feels hopeless and helpless. Is that you tonight? Never before had he been face to face, face, -to -face with such truth. 
Never before did he even feel guilty. He didn't have to feel guilty. But all of a sudden, he is now feeling guilty because he is responsible with the word that he heard and the truths that he heard. He suddenly becomes responsible, and he can't do nothing about this feeling of guilt. It doesn't go away, and it won't for you tonight. His guilt didn't just go away. Oh, he tried. Guilt in our lives is extremely a heavy weight and burden, and our created bodies were never meant to carry guilt. I'll take you back to the garden for that one. Our created bodies were never made to carry guilt. It's a burden too heavy for us to bear. And there's a way been created or, or given to us to get rid of the guilt. And that is through Jesus Christ. We're not made to carry this guilt. But being that, being that Felix was a man of power, he was a man of position, he decided that he can handle it. You know that? He made a conscious choice, a conscious decision that he can bear this one. And Felix... Felix loved his sins so much. And that is the problem. That is what's going to paste you in the pew tonight, is if you love your sin so much, you will not get out of your pew. You're going to, you're going to take the risk with an accountability before God and judgment to come because we love our sin too much. And Felix loved his sin so much, he did a horrible thing here. He did what so many of us are doing today. He says, go thy way. It's a horrible thing to think about. He says, go thy way. He sends away the very person who could help him. And tonight you can send me away. I'm going to go home tomorrow. It's like, like this is the moment that Felix was at. Just here tonight. Same scenario. Preaching of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And then the messenger gets sent away. Send away the very man who had the answers. The one who could help him. The one who could lead him. And he sent him away. He decided that he can handle that guilt. So he does like many people do today. When they're guilty and uncomfortable, they send away the messenger. And that was Paul. And he says, go thy way. For this time. For this time. Maybe you're expecting to show back up tomorrow night. I, I doubt it. That there's anybody here to expect to just come back tomorrow night. And take care of business tomorrow night. Or the next night. Or the next night. See that's, that's, the, reason, that's the reasoning that's going on in Felix's mind here. Go away this time. For when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. There's something wrong with that picture, and I want to look a little bit at that. He says, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. What if Paul would have said that? What if Paul would have been brought into the presence of Felix and Drusilla, and he would have said, I'm just going to wait. I'm not preaching this time. 
I'm not going to say a word this time. I'm just going to be quiet. And he would have decided, Paul would have decided, he's going to wait on a convenient time to preach to Felix. Maybe he was going to wait for the audience to be greater than two people. And then it's worthwhile presenting the gospel. What if Paul would have waited for a convenient season to speak to Felix? He wouldn't have trembled that night or day. He wouldn't have heard of righteousness. He wouldn't have heard of temperance. And he wouldn't have heard of judgment to come. Therefore, the guilt wouldn't have come upon him if Paul would have waited for a convenient season to preach the gospel. But what's interesting is how it is worded here. How it, is, how it is said here, when I have a convenient season. See, that is where we run into a problem, people, is when I decide that I am going to come to the cross. I will decide when I de- had enough of this guilt. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. When I will call thee, At a convenient season when I decide that I am ready. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. I think Peter's preaching here and he says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who does the calling? Who does the calling tonight, folks? It's God. It's when God calls. It's not when you and I decide that it's time and you just think that any time you're just going to come to the, to, to, the, to, to the cross, so to speak. See, Felix thought that he was going to find a better, a better and a more convenient time and it was going to be on his time and on his agenda and when it suited him the best and after he went and fixed a few things up a little bit because he was uncomfortable with Paul talking about, that's when he would call and decide that he had enough. That convenient season will never come, folks. The convenient season never arrives. It's always out there somewhere. On my terms. It's the same way that men respond today. Eh, maybe sometime. Now, this is frightening, folks. This here is is really frightening because Felix... Felix did call Paul again. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And it says that he hoped that money should be given him and that he might lose. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. You see, I believe his guilt was just about killing him, but he was ready to, he was just going to bear it himself. But he kept calling, calling, he kept calling Paul in. And he communed with Paul. And never again did he tremble. Never again was he convicted. We don't have record that he was ever convicted. And the guilt is still upon him. Even when he called Paul. Even when he thought it was a convenient season. And Paul comes down and sits there and they have a meal together. We have no record that he was convicted and that he trembled again. Are we coming to God on our terms?
I find that a very, very sobering fact. That when the scriptures that once convicted me, the scriptures that you heard this week that made you tremble, made you shake, and I don't know if anybody even here did, but they might not make you tremble next week. No. You might read that verse in the scripture and it's not going to say anything to you anymore. It's not going to cause you to tremble next week. It's tonight. It's today. It's this week. It's the preaching of your word. It's the power of the written word of God that makes us tremble. But we want to barter with God and tell him at a convenient time, I'll decide if I'm going to come to the cross. God does the calling, folks. And when he speaks, we are compelled to answer. Now, Felix was a man of authority. I understand that. And he used it there. He sent away the messenger, called him again, communed with him. Bringing this to a close. The convenient season never comes. The convenient season that Paul writes about here, that the writer writes about, that Felix was, was um, speaking about, requesting, I should say, a convenient season never arrives. So today man desires to wait and wait and wait until it suits him. You know, there are many a soul in hell tonight who are still waiting on that convenient season. There are many a soul in hell tonight who did not plan to go there. But they waited too long. The convenient season still has not arrived for them. Do you understand? It's a dangerous place to find oneself when the scriptures no longer convict us. And we think we're going to shoulder the guilt and we're going to just bear it, and we're going to carry it. God is not interested in convenient seasons. He has all his interest poured into the seasons of the year that he has given us. He is not interested in another one. He is not interested in a convenient season. Because tonight is the opportunity. Tonight is the night. Current the present tense. It is the enemy. It is the, listen, it is the enemy that convinces us to wait for a convenient season. Now whose voice are we going to listen to tonight? To wait for a convenient season today is to love my sin. And until we can hate our sins, we're going to be pasted in the pews. We have to hate our sins. Felix loved his sins. And he carried them on. He didn't leave them there when he was talking with Paul. Man has a wrong concept of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come if he is still waiting for a convenient season. He has a wrong concept of righteousness. He has a wrong concept of temperance. And he has a warped concept of judgment to come if he's sitting and waiting for a better season, a convenient season. And tonight, it is still common to just send the messenger away. 
hoping the uncomfortable guilt and, and pricking conscience will ease, will just ease up. What is, what happens if that messenger is the Holy Spirit and we send him away? So tonight it does us well to find out our sins before our sins find us out. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to open it up when we sing. And I invite you tonight, if you trembled this week, if a message from this week is speaking, if the, if the Word of God is speaking, if the Holy Spirit is speaking, that you come forward and somebody will pray with you. We cannot wait, folks. We cannot wait for tomorrow night. We cannot wait for a convenient season. We will leave this place as miserable as we came. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus tonight. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the demonstration of that power and that you change lives and that you convict and that your spirit moves. And Lord, I just pray that you would search our hearts tonight. If you know any, if there be any sin, if there be any turmoil in our hearts, any loss of peace, any guilt tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would show us, you would point out, out to us, and we would be honest before you, O oh God. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And we count on that. We stand on that tonight. May you hover over us. And I pray that you bind the powers of Satan, demons, and devils, that they could not hinder this invitation. But your spirit would have free course, and our hearts would be soft in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing just as I am. If you're here tonight and you're miserable, come forward.